Welcome to the Eastern Shore. I'm Brock Winstead. Today on the show, a grown man sneaks into a children's theme park by the side door. If you're a regular listener to this show, you already know that I am not a three-year-old child. Nor am I regularly in possession of three-year-old children, or children anywhere between, say, one and a half and five years old. But if I were, I'd go to children's fairyland near the northwest corner of Lake Merritt, just off Grand Avenue in Oakland. Children's Fairyland opened in 1950 as a storybook theme park designed specifically for young children, the first of its kind in the country. The 65th anniversary of its opening day will be on September 2nd of this year. And while it has been opened continuously, not all of those 65 years were easy ones. Fairyland was operated by the city of Oakland for many decades, but in the early 1990s, it was spun off as a separate nonprofit because the city couldn't afford to keep it running anymore. Since then, Fairyland has been working to emerge from its years of financial difficulty, stagnation, and underinvestment in maintenance. Fairyland now does a lot with a little, and it is remarkably affordable. Admission is $10 per person, and the park runs an outreach program that subsidizes admission and transportation for low-income families. It is homespun, it's still a little rough in places, but it is authentically good-hearted and does its best to maintain accessibility for as many people as possible. There may be an aspirational civic metaphor in there. For the past 13 years, the person in charge of Fairyland's operations, its refurbishment, this most recent chapter in its own storybook, has been C.J. Hirschfield. I made my very first visit to Children's Fairyland recently to talk to C.J., I asked her about why she left a 20-year career in cable TV to run Fairyland, how she balances the history of the park with the need to serve kids and families here in the present, and what makes something Fairylandish. Here's C.J. Hirschfield, Executive Director of Children's Fairyland, on the Eastern Shore.
CJ, thank you so much for sitting down and talking with me on a busy Friday morning here at Children's Fairyland. You've been executive director here for over a decade now. Yes, 13 years. Hard to believe. Well, my first question is, what does that job title really mean? Do you get to walk around Children's Fairyland and say, bow before me, I am your queen? What do you really get to do as executive director? I don't have time to do that. I wish I, I, wish I did. Uh, no, I wear the big wings at Fairyland. Um, and, you know, we are a nonprofit corporation, but at the same time, we run this as a very entrepreneurial business. I mean, as you know, it's a challenge for nonprofits to get by. Over 80% of our income is earned. So we're not as heavily reliant on government grants as some of my friends who run other nonprofits. So what that means is we need to offer a service that people want. And so what that includes, we, uh, I oversee you know, our um, summer camps, uh, our, uh, we have summer sleepovers, we have three birthday party areas, we have evening events, we have weddings these days. So all of that, in addition to our kind of core service, which is welcoming families and making memories for 65 years. When you started in 2002, you'd never run anything like this before. Well, there is nothing like this. I've run a huge convention uh, for over 30,000 people. So again, a lot of moving parts, operations, security, that sort of thing. And what um, the board was interested in is someone who had that operational experience, but someone who also knew Oakland and hopefully knew the players in Oakland. So I had always been volunteering. Um, I used to work in the cable television industry, but I'd been volunteering in Oakland and was the chairman of the Library Association. So I knew all of the players in town and was advocating on behalf of kids and libraries. So crazy as that seems, that seemed to be a combination of a skill set that the Board of Fairyland was interested in. So that's what they liked about you. But what drew you to this place, to this job? A couple of things. Um, My daughter, who is now 24, I brought her here when she was young, attended a lot of birthday parties at Fairyland, and like so many parents uh, in the Bay Area, fell in love with the place. And I fell in love with its history. I am an Oakland history freak. So even as her enjoyment was not diminished by the fact that things were a little, more than a little run down, she loved the place. And I could see it was a jewel, but it was clearly a jewel in need of some tender, loving care. So uh, when I decided to leave the cable industry and I saw this job description, I just started laughing. I thought, well, I definitely wanted to run something and I wanted to run something that was close to my heart. And so this was perfect for me. How long did you work in the cable industry? About 21 years. That's a career. Um, Yes, it was a heck of a run. What did you do? I started off, my first job in cable was running the public access channel in San Francisco in the late 70s. Someday I'm going to write about that. (laughs) I don't know if people would believe it, but it was an incredible time and place. I then went on to do some producing of two shows when... Cable stations were required to have local programming at the time by the FCC. So I produced two weekly shows. One was public affairs and the other was the arts. And it was fantastic. It was, uh, I had a great time. And then I went to work for the association that represents the cable industry in California. It was, crazily enough, based on Piedmont Avenue in Oakland. So uh, I did that and I ended up, as I said, producing this convention that funded the um, 
association. But it was like the Wild West in cable. I mean, you had Ted Turner. People don't remember when cable first uh, discovered that it could efficiently deliver uh, programming via the satellite that people otherwise could not get, that's when it exploded. That's when you had all of these new services come online, Discovery, BET, everything. So it was... And most of the cable stations uh, in California were independently run by folks who, you know, climbed the poles and determined the programming. So very different than it is now. And that's why I left, because consolidation happened. So what changed in the industry? Consolidation, yeah, okay, that's a, a change in configuration and who owns what and where. But what did that really mean for you, you know, on the ground here in the Bay Area, Want, that made you say, no more of this for me. Well, what really happened was I uh, was associated with a foundation that the cable industry put together um, that identified and placed um, minorities in mid to upper level management in cable because there was not a, an easy way for them to do that, to enter this dynamic new industry. So every year uh, I produced a, an event in New York that was a fundraiser. So it was about for 1,500 people or so. So I took my little team back there every year, and we stayed in Midtown Manhattan. And we were there, and September 11th happened that week. So obviously the event was canceled. We couldn't get home. And that's when I thought, you know what? Um, I hope those people liked what they were doing when they went to work. I hope they loved their job, because that was it. And a lot of time to think, because I couldn't get home. And I thought, you know, what consolidation really meant was that the board of this association in California was no longer made up of the decision makers, the people who actually owned their, um, owned the system. They had all sold out, and they were all now run by a couple of corporations. And there just wasn't that kind of spirit that I had seen when a bunch of, mostly guys, some women, a bunch of guys came together and said, you know, we need to do something good for the industry. Let's, uh, let's call it C-SPAN, and it would be a good thing, let's just do it. So there wasn't that kind of creativity, excitement anymore, and they were kind of putting Ted Turner out to pasture. So it was time, for all those reasons, it was time to move on. He has plenty of pasture to be put out to. He does. Uh, so that's a little bit about your personal history. Let's talk a little bit about the history of Fairyland. Fairyland's been here for since 1950. Fairyland had been run by the city of Oakland, for many years. And then in the early 1990s, things weren't going so well. It's a crossroads. So why did it become, or why was it handed to a nonprofit? Well, in the mid-90s, it was clear that the city did not have the money to adequately maintain this jewel in Oakland. So it was a turning point, And the city had a dialogue with the community uh, do we keep this place alive? Do we keep it running? And if the answer is yes, then how? And the answer apparently was a resounding yes. People love this place. Millions of memories made here. Very unique. The original storybook theme park in America. So at that point, uh, discussions uh, went underway. The Lake Merritt Breakfast Club, which still meets every Thursday morning at 7 o'clock across the street from Fairyland, proposed that a nonprofit corporation be formed. And it would have some city involvement. It would have um, park and rec, members of the Lake Merritt Breakfast Club, 
Uh, but the rationale was that as a nonprofit, Fairyland could then be part of bond measures for capital projects. We could then apply to foundations, corporations, individuals for donations. So they took a, the city took a leap of faith, but it was really uh, the people of Oakland could not envision an Oakland without Fairyland. So that was a turning point. And my predecessor, who was the first executive director of the nonprofit, uh, really jumped in with both feet and was part of a, um, a bond measure that allowed us to do a lot of things, to redo the entryway, to add some much-needed bathrooms, you know, just infrastructure stuff, and um, set a level of professionalism uh, and a standard that, uh, you know, has been passed on to me, and I just picked it up and, and kept on running. But the model has been very effective for us, and I've seen storybook theme parks all over the country that were based on fairyland uh, go under. And a lot of them that are in trouble, uh, the ones that still exist and haven't been paved over because of the price of real estate, will call me and say, how did you do this? And again, we apply for grants and um, funding, but the fact that we are able to earn so much of our revenue and it's very important for us to stay affordable, but nonetheless, we're providing a service and an opportunity for people uh, that they really appreciate and they're willing to pay for. So when you came on in 2002, it had been operating as a nonprofit for eight years, give or take. What were the problems that you had to solve when you showed up? Oh, boy. Well, as I've mentioned, we had, uh, there was a state of disrepair, and some of it was beyond just aesthetic. I mean... Some you know the electrical system, everything was old. Um, the irrigation system, all those kinds of infrastructure issues. But as well, there was a very small staff at the time, and some of them um, were used to doing things their own way, which and having keys to everything. And there it was kind of crazy. So it was a matter of upping the level of professionalism here. And so some staff members left, so some of them stayed, and there, there were just all the challenges you would find in a, in a typical uh, business. Um, certainly the aesthetics were important, and so that's what we started working on because we really weren't in a position to offer up uh, evening events. We just weren't in good shape. So that was, it took us years and a lot of time and energy to build up the money that it took to be able to hire people to do some of these functions. For years, we did not have uh, anyone to do our art and restoration. We relied on volunteers, which was not as constant as we would have liked. So we had to really build up the revenue so that we could afford to hire people like our one-and-a-half art and restoration people. It took me years to be able to hire our education specialist, who's been a game-changer and who has allowed us to work with special needs kids and special populations. Um, so it's, it's taken a lot of time. I think the key was, uh, again getting the kind of revenue that would allow us to bring on a staff that would really take us to the next level. So that transition to a nonprofit in the in the mid-90s was done in part to save Fairyland, to keep it operating. But I think of nonprofits as having missions, having goals, more than just, again, getting people in the gates. So what are those goals or what's the mission for Children's Fairyland? Well, we've been um, 
kind of dealing with a, a perception challenge for a while now, but I think we've, we've pretty much overcome it. And that is, uh, about a decade ago, we realized that, yes, we believe we're affordable to most families, but not all families. So that's when we created something we call our outreach program. And that's uh, at the core of really what we do beyond what a typical family will see when they come in. And that is, we appreciate the fact that there are so many families who cannot afford Fairyland. Uh, so we've built up a program, and this is mainly what we raise money for. And uh, boy, over last, uh, last year, we were able to welcome over 15,000 kids and family members, either no cost or half price, to Fairyland with special programs. We have a Head Start Day where every single Head Start kid and their family members and caregivers come. That's like 2,200 people. It's a wonderful day. We, have, uh, we use our 10 acres of gardens to conduct um, uh, horticultural therapy for autistic kids. We've got an amazing program um, called our Junior Animal Caretaker Program where severely traumatized kids, uh, mostly foster kids, come and um, have sessions with our education specialist slash counselor and our animal caregiver, and they learn all about our animals, and they become kind of the experts teaching uh, to the littler kids who come. And we've seen amazing things happen with those kids, kids who wouldn't talk, who come out of that, you know, feeling better about themselves and having been successful, some of them for the first time in their lives with something. So we're just, um, we are doing things kind of behind the scenes that folks may not know about, but we take this nonprofit status very seriously. And we're in the heart of downtown Oakland, which is wonderful. Um, we, a lot of the money we raise is for buses so that we can get kids here. But it's really um, what I've learned over the last 13 years is that Fairyland truly is a therapeutic environment. It's safe, it's sweet, uh, and oh my gosh, we have court-ordered uh, um, visitations that come here all the time because it's really a place where people, where a parent and child can interact. Um, the Clinton Foundation last year decided to roll out its National Talk, Read, Sing uh, campaign, which recognizes the importance of talking, reading, and singing to kids from infancy on and the advantages that come from that, uh, decided to roll it out in Oakland at Fairyland. So again, early childhood literacy. We do tons of work with a library. We have a new storytelling program for infants and toddlers every Friday. So we're, and we have a ton of scholarships to our summer camp also for low-income kids. So there's a lot going on under the surface, and frankly, that's what I think has made it so that I have people who've worked for me for 11 years, 10 years, 9 years. Uh, we get a lot of satisfaction from uh, serving our community in those kinds of ways, beyond just, again, being a wonderful place for a family to spend a Saturday. Fairyland does have this long history. It opened in 1950 and served as a model for... Walt Disney and other people who wanted to open amusement parks or things like this around the country. And when you came on in 2002, you had this half century behind you of what people thought Fairyland was and maybe thought it should be, should continue to be. And you've had to navigate a path between kind of honoring that history and serving the needs of the present. Are there times when those two are in tension? Surprisingly, there are very few 
occasions when that will come up. And that's because I think all of us who work here are really aware of and appreciative of the history. So for example, we, we understand because we've read the original papers of the founders of Fairyland, uh, a surprise around every corner and no straight lines. Okay, so, so we've got that. Everything needs to be at kid level. I mean, that's why our big iconic shoe, you walk through it, adults have to lean over, kids can, quote, walk proudly through. This is not lost on us. Best if you're about three feet tall. Exactly. <laughs> so we kind of channel the vision of our creators. And we often, on, at staff meetings or just amongst ourselves, we'll be talking about, oh, that's not fairylandish. No, that's not, it's kind of part of our core. So, you know, an obvious thing would be, okay, a beer manufacturer wants to sponsor. No, that's not Fairylandish. But sometimes it's a little uh, tougher discussion. So, um, but for the most part, when we talk about either upgrading a facility uh, or an attraction or creating a new one, is it Fairylandish? And I think what people appreciate about Fairyland, parents appreciate, uh, we are non-commercial. And that's been something we've had many opportunities in the past to use our kids to try out new products and all. We're not going to do it. But with that said, our visitors understand that if we want to have, for example, a Comcast weekend where we're going to have a Rugrats character here um, and they'll have a table and hand out stuff, they understand that that's only for a weekend and that we're doing it because, you know, it's a, it's a partnership that brings something to the table. But they also appreciate the fact that we're, uh, when you come into Fairyland, you, you are not going to be um, overwhelmed with commercials that, that were non-electronic. And thankfully, research has been on our side at Fairyland that shows that playing is learning, okay? That it's important for little kids to play, that that's how they do learn. And again, referring back to our Talk, Read, Sing campaign, um, this is a literature-rich environment here. So parents are really, it's very easy to interact, and the kids will point things out and lead them around. So I think we're, at this point, um, there are very few tensions. I mean, one would be, for example, you know, the marijuana industry making a donation to Fairyland. That's kind of, we have discussions about that. But other than that, it's pretty... Um, it's pretty clear for us what fairylandish means. What's the age range of kids that you sort of ideally welcome to children's fairyland? Well, I always say fairyland is a state of mind. So it's, it's surprising to me how many parents say, oh, my child is three, they're not old enough for fairyland. We have parents that I adore who come here when the baby, you know, we're talking infants. Now, think about it. It's 10 acres of beautiful gardens. There's a ton of things to see. There's a lot of color, uh, visual. And a parent can come and, again, just talk or sing or whatever with their child, walk around, have a beautiful day, bring a picnic lunch. Um, so those are the parents we love. Similarly, uh, I would say the key, the key age would be, let's say, one and a half to five. With that said, we also have, I didn't mention, a children's theater program which is free, um, which, by the way, for the first time in history, the mayor of a major urban city is a graduate of our children's theater program. <laughs> Libby Schaff. Libby Schaff used to be Raggedy Ann and Cinderella. So uh, it's a great program. So these are for kids from 8 to 10. 
and they love being here. Not only the performing part, but they're really our park ambassadors. So they go around and welcome people and paint faces and stuff, uh, and they love it here. I have two of them here now because they're, I've been here long enough so that they're graduates of college right now, some of them. So both Yaretsi and Geneva have come back from college and work for us in the summer. So, and they still love the place. And talking about Fairyland Love, we do um, a couple of evening events, one in partnership with Oaklandish. And the first time we did it, and it sold out with 1,200 people, we were kind of worried about who would come. And what we found out was that these are kids who grew up in Oakland who haven't been able to come to Fairyland because they don't have a child and we won't admit you without a child. And they came back with their elementary school friends, with their cameras, and the biggest complaint they had that first year was, why didn't you do a puppet show? (laughs) So we understood that even people in their 20s and 30s uh, still have a love for this place. So it really is a state of mind as opposed to just a, a physical place that's only good for couple of years you talked about having a lot of non-electronic uh elements here we're in the the workshop for the puppet theater right now you have a puppet theater it's a very analog space have there been times when you've said when you've really said no to adding technology to the park well, there's technology and there's technology. Um, certainly behind the scenes, I'll use anything sure. that would make it easier for my staff or, or create a better experience. I'll give you an example. Right now, we had a wonderful person from Meyer Sound come out pro bono and take a look at our um, theater that we have. Because the good news is Fairyland is smack dab in the middle of Lakeside Park. It is a vibrant urban park. That's the good news and the bad news. We have stuff going on all the time outside of our ferry gates that's noisy. So we're looking at ways in which we can use high technology to better soundproof our theater. Okay? Now, would the public know about that, that we're doing that? Um, Probably not. Uh, Are we using in our office everything we can to help get the word out? I'll tell you something. Social media has been a real game changer for us. It allows people, we really, people love Fairyland, and we're part of people's memories, no matter what your age. And right now, we've got four generations of people uh, who've grown up with Fairyland. So our Facebook page, which has over 15,000 friends right now, uh, Twitter, um, the newsletters that we send out, electronic newsletters, oh my gosh, that has has really been advantageous to us as a nonprofit, Mm. okay? So, but what you will see when you walk around the park, uh, no, we, we're, we're um, reimagining a set right now. And the person who's working with us, we said, okay, it's got to be mechanical. Yeah. And it's got to last forever. And he loved that challenge because that's what he's all about. So it's just a different way of looking at things. Now, the challenge for us sometimes is really, in our heart of hearts, we would love it if all the parents would turn off their devices when they come here. And interestingly enough, most of them do. Most of them do. It just is an environment that you've got your child really wanting to interact with you. That's what we're all about. And so at a certain point, parents realize, let's just, let's just enjoy the, the moment and, and be present, which we love. To the parents who call us on the phone and ask, how many rides do you have? And we say, we have four. And they say, well, then I'll only be there for like 10 minutes with my child. I would like to say to those parents... 
think outside of the rides. Think about what it's like to be with your child or children in 10 acres of beautiful gardens with over 40 interactive sets that they can run around on, uh, a puppet show, uh, a performance by our children's theater, bring your lunch, have a picnic, um, to, look at, to look at a place like this in a different way other than rides, to slow it down. You know, we've got the slow food movement. This is the slow entertainment movement. So consider a different pace. The world outside of Fairyland's fairy gates is very frenetic, very electronic. If you've got a child, and it doesn't have to be your child, if you want a child to love you forever, um, bring them for a day to Fairyland and let it be about them, because that's what this is about. This place was designed and created for our youngest kids, and there are very few places anymore out there for the very young child. Aside from staffing, the way things are run behind the scenes, how has the park changed in the 13 years you've been here? Well, certainly it looks very, very different. Okay, We've been able to, for example, I came here and there was a sign at the back of the park and it said, Old West Junction coming soon. And I said, fabulous. And they said, CJ, the sign has been up for 20 years. (laughs) So I found out that someone had, a wonderful um, architect, had designed this old town set. And the designs were around, but there was no money to build the thing. And so we found one donor to donate the materials and the other one the labor and we built it. So that was wonderful. Uh, We built a theater. We built a beautiful theater, and it is the only theater in the region designed for kids, both to be in the audience and on stage. So, so many things have taken place at that theater. Uh, It is home to our own children's theater program, and we have a brilliant partnership with Bay Area Children's Theater. Uh, They've got professional actors performing pre-K shows here. So we've got a show now that uh, is going through July, and uh, the book uh, that it's based on, they're all based on great children's books. In the past, we've done Cat in the Hat, Little Engine That Could, Go Dog Go, and we're rocking it this month with The Day the Crayons Quit. So these are professional actors, musicians, and we've been selling out the shows with like 200-plus people, And sometimes the kids bring their little books and follow along. So the theater was a game changer for us and really allows us to do more things. Um, Because the park looks so much better and we do have a professional staff, we're in the wedding business now. Um, And people love it. We have, in addition to our Fairyland for Grown Ups night that we co-produce with Oaklandish, we have an arts event that I think is really going to build. You know, we have such an amazing artistic community here in Oakland, and our art and restoration person comes from the California College of Arts, and so she's well-connected. And so we invite, and they accept, about 36 artists who come, uh, some of them pretty well-known, and they do site-specific art, create site-specific art here at Fairyland one night. We have wine, we have music, and then at the end of the... And people can feel free to uh, interact with the artists, learn more about them. And then at the end of the evening, for uh, a flat fee that is a donation to Fairyland, people can get original pieces of art. And that's been... that We're so happy with that because we're also wanting to be community builders. And if you knew... The number of organizations that we partner with, it's pretty astounding. We know all of the 
organizations that deal with uh, pre-K kids. So we do uh, hook up uh, with them for field trips. For We just had Daddy and Me here. These are a lot of formerly incarcerated dads who want to connect with their kids and learn parenting skills. What better place to do that than Fairyland? So we're really offering up our, I tell my staff all the time, we have 10 acres of incredible real estate in the heart of downtown Oakland, and we have to use it, be thoughtful every day, think about how we can use it for the greatest good. Have you seen the population of who shows up at Fairyland? change in that time? I see a lot more tattoos on parents. <laughs> I'm joking, but it's true. I think um, the biggest change I've seen, a couple of things worth noting, I don't think anyone would be surprised to learn that kids' attention spans aren't as apparently as long as they used to be. So so some of our puppet shows, we've consciously, our master puppeteers consciously kind of cut them a little bit. Our The parents who come are a lot more... Uh, they're online. When I first got here, that didn't exist. And we had paper newsletters. That was a pain. But now we are able to effectively communicate. And again, having a partner like Oaklandish is wonderful because we can kind of tie in with their um, social media followers and really exponentially increase our reach. Another thing that's really changed for us, and and we're still kind of figuring it out, but it's been uh, very positive for us, and that is some of these online social media deals, Groupon, Living Social. We have to be very judicious with that, but we think that there are some people who are maybe a little outside of our core region, maybe kind of further down the peninsula or further up Marin or east through the tunnel, who would take advantage of an online deal as opposed to, you know, uh, paying the regular price. So that's something that's been a game changer for us, too, and we're still, we're still learning. Oakland and the Bay Area are undergoing something of a transformation right now. Uh, you know, it changes who lives here and what they might want to do. Are you having to kind of reinvent how you tell the story of Fairyland to reach those new folks? Well... Oakland is really going through some major changes. I love the fact that we are directly adjacent to the Uptown District, and I'm on the board of the Lake Merritt Uptown Business Improvement District. So seeing all of the excitement that's happening just right around us and the new housing is very gratifying. Gentrification is an issue that is everyone's talking about in Oakland, and it's real. It's a very important discussion to be having. We do have a lot of people who are moving in from elsewhere and may not know about it. What I love is how many people uh, from Oakland delight in uh, showing folks and um, letting them see what Fairyland is. It's a very, uh, very much a sense of pride because there really is no place like it. There are some other um, storybook theme parks, but this this really is special for on a number of levels, and so delighting in people being able to show their new friends uh, Fairyland is great. Also, these nighttime events we have for adults really um, turn people on to who we are and what we do, and I think we're we're seeing that's why we're seeing more night events here. It's just very special. I think, in addition to being nonprofit and non commercial, people appreciate the fact that. We don't, you're not going to see, you know, Hello Kitty in our, in our gift store. Um, we're, not, um, license, we're not using licensed product like that. We sell a lot of things that are powered by imagination. So it's like puppets, costumes, um, games, all those kinds of things. So 
it's been interesting for us to be in the middle of this uh, Oakland renaissance. Um, as I say, being directly adjacent to the uptown, I think more and more people who walk around the lake, uh, they may not live in the area, but they walk around the lake, start asking about uh, Fairyland. We also do a lot of work parties with corporations, um, Pandora, Wells Fargo, the uh, auto uh, CSAA was here doing a work party. So we're, uh, we, we're really committed to being part of the fabric of this community. And as the community changes, I can't say that we'll be changing as much as maybe some other entities. But I think there's, a, there's an appreciation of that. There's some things that are just um, sweet and simple and safe. But the, certainly lake, the lake is, uh, we'll see a lot of changes. And we've been watching that pretty closely. The uh, Henry J. Kaiser Convention Center, which will be turned into something else, and the approval recently for a large um, high-rise apartment complex. What we would love to see in Lakeside Park is greater security, and so that people can walk around the lake 24 hours a day. That would be wonderful. Parking is, I remember when I was first interviewed for the job and 13 years ago, and I, I asked the board at the time, what do you think my biggest challenge is here? And they said parking. <laughs> of all right? the challenges, they were right. You know, if you've got a, a toddler, it's, it's a bit of a challenge to, you know, it's a 15-minute walk. But I think more and more people are coming on bikes, coming on BART. And so that's really gratifying. But um, it's only going to get more uh, dynamic here in Lakeside Park. So 80% of the, the revenue comes from earned income. The other 20% from grants and sources that you have to apply for and ask for. And a little comes from the city of Oakland as well. Over the time you've been here, what has changed about where those grants are coming from and where you're looking for them as the, you, know, you look to the future? The biggest change has come with the research that everyone's talking about, which is the value of, as I say, talking, reading, and singing to your child. And so over the years, we've been able to talk with foundations who are very involved in this and very aware of the fact that, particularly in our area of Oakland, kids are not reading at grade level by grade three the way we want. So there are a lot of people in Oakland, a lot of foundations who are working together to try to solve this problem. We are seen as a major partner. That's, that's relatively new. And family engagement. We've been about family engagement for 65 years, but family engagement now is something people realize is critical to the development of a child. And now we are, again, seen as a powerful partner in this. So the Rainin Foundation, um, we're talking with a number of foundations now that historically we would have to kind of wave our hand and say, hello, hello, we really are about what we do is important and now, thanks to the research that has come out, people understand that playing is learning and that free-form play and playing outside is important. Um, one of the attractions that we introduced a few years ago uh, is just a big hill covered in high-quality AstroTurf, and kids are given a piece of cardboard, okay? I cannot tell you, and, and we did have conversations, is this fairylandish? Oh, we, we really thought it was, because, again, a surprise around every corner. You see a kid turn a corner and see that hill. They know what to do. There's no language barrier. There are no lines, yeah. and it's just amazing. And so, But people now are appreciating the fact that, that our urban kids don't have enough places to play, 
and that are safe and you don't have to be looking out for cars. Mm-hmm. So all of the research has has been um, developed and and you know, points in, in favor of the fairyland experience. That's been a profound change that we can go with our heads held high to a foundation and explain to them, especially now that I have an education specialist and she can use their language, exactly what we're doing that ties in with core curriculum and uh, ties in with uh, the importance of the pre-K experience in terms of future success of these kids in every area. Does anybody not like children's fairyland? You know what? There are always, there are always people who are going to be criticizing. We, we had a real public relations coup the other day that I think only comes once in a lifetime. And that is, you know, we were all so excited about the Warriors winning the championship. And so when we realized that the parade would be going right by our big iconic sign that we have on the side of a hill right on Lake Merritt, um, I can't claim credit for this. My horticulturalist, Jackie, who's a real jock, and when she saw that the parade was going right by there, she said, why don't we change the sign for one day to Riley Land? So I called my arts person. I said, Shannon, can you pull this together in just a couple of hours? She said, sure. So we put up Riley Land, and I cannot tell you, this went viral to an extent that I would never have believed. And most people, what we wanted was just to have fun with it and celebrate the fact that Riley um, Curry, who's an international sensation, we've always known that toddlers are adorable and funny and unpredictable and crazy. I think Um, the line is they say the darndest things. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And so we just thought it'd be fun. And we put it up and then we watched people. uh, And of course, there were hundreds of thousands, maybe a million people. But people would go by the sign and they would laugh and smile and take photos. That's what we wanted. Okay, so of course you're going to have a couple people. One person said, um, you know, why do you feature a millionaire's daughter? Why don't you, why don't you change it for Make-A-Wish Foundation kids? And what was, what was the other one? There was another, um, oh, I, gosh, I've even forgotten it. But there are always going to be a couple people. Uh, so, and we've got one person in Piedmont who is convinced that Walt Disney actually painted a Mickey Mouse um, figure on the inside of our Alice Tunnel. And he, he has been telling people for decades that his cousin, it was his cousin, and he was standing right next to him. This, by the way, is not true. Okay, This is not true. Uh, so it's kind of quirky and crazy out there. Um, but, but for the most part, no. I think... The word I have to use is authentic. This is an authentic place. Even as everything is based on fantasy, we're very authentic about this fantasy world. And we um, were very sincere. Um, This is not a cynical place to be. I mean, um, we love being here and celebrating the fact that this is one of... Someone quoted us as uh, saying, um, it's as non-cynical as a toddler's beating heart. And it's kind of like that's... Uh, that's how we look at it. But my gosh, you're always going to have some people who are going to have a problem with something. One of the things, one of the other things that's changed uh, recently that might affect the way that Fairland operates is the minimum wage increase here in Oakland, which has no carve-outs for, say, a nonprofit. Um, how has that changed the way that the park, has it changed the way that Fairland is operating? Fairland has an operating agreement with the city of Oakland. 
And as part of that agreement, pretty much any entity that um, receives money, however much, from the city of Oakland has to agree to provide a living wage, which is more than the minimum wage. Now, with that said, so we would have to go by the definition of living wage set by the city of Oakland. So for most of my employees, we pay well over living wage. However, until this recent, um, the passage of this recent um, measure, uh, there was one exception, and that was for um, seasonal under-21 people. The interns, essentially. Paid. I, I mean, not really. I, I can't call it interns, because for us it wasn't interns. It was kids who would come in the summer and work for us who were under-21. You could pay them less. Okay, not the minimum wage, but somewhere in between. That's where we were hit. And so it's sad to me. It's it's a very small part of uh, my employee pool. But it's sad to me because Fairyland, we can teach money handling, customer service, etc. We have really no incentive to hire uh, kids under 21. We just don't because uh, there's a maturity level over 21 and uh, the amount of money we're paying. So uh, that's been the, the only uh, difference. There are other organizations who are, who are hit much harder than we are, particularly with summer interns, that sort of thing. And, and I think that's very sad. I think the nonprofit community would have appreciated a dialogue on the subject. But it's, it's done, and we all want to pay our workers more. Um, I can speak... From experience, my daughter just moved into her first place in Oakland. Rents have skyrocketed. And so all of us want to do what we can to increase the pay of our workers. We've talked a good bit about the history, the recent history of Children's Fairyland, some of the things that keep it operating in the present. But let's look to the future a little bit. What's next for Fairyland? I would love to see us grow our outreach program. Again, that's for kids, special needs, um, at-risk, low-income. This is a therapeutic place, and I think we could be doing more with it. So that would be one of the greatest things I would see. You know, at 65 years old, this is like the Golden Gate Bridge. You know, you start painting it, and then you start all over again. Um, We're looking to upgrade our electrical. There are just a lot of infrastructure things we need to do. Um, We want to get into the whole area of planned giving. We have a lot of people who love this place. We would love to have them consider us in in their estate planning. So that's one area that we're going to be getting into. An endowment would be lovely an endowment that would spin off money so that we could pay for our um, deferred maintenance. Because it's always something. It's always something that's... uh, We just put in a new goat house for our goats because we went in to repair it and looked at it and said, there is no hope for this. We need to completely redo it. Start over with the goat house. Exactly. (laughs) So I understand that in years past, in the dead of night, Fairyland's people would kind of expand the fence line but we, I don't think we're going to do that. We don't do that anymore. So I don't think we're going to expand. I would love, again, to see... I mean, I live near Lakeside Park uh, as well as working here. Um, we need to all play really well together because this really is the, the heart and soul of Oakland is this lake, and we're a lot of things to a lot of people. So to just um, ensure the safety and beauty of this you know, wildlife refuge that 
there's just always something going on and just want to make sure that it remains just a wonderful place to that shows off Oakland. You said earlier you're a big Oakland history buff. There's a worry when, when a lot of new people move to a place that they're, they don't appreciate that history. Um, you know, new folks moving into Oakland, most many of them don't have a sense of what was and how, how the city came to be the way it is now, whether that's Fairyland or the Kaiser Convention Center or what have you. Are you seeing, you know, as new folks move into Oakland, are they, are they coming to appreciate the history of this place? Definitely, yes, I have to say. I mean, people going on tours of the cemetery, which holds so much history. I happen to live in a house that was on the Oakland Heritage Alliance tour, so I'm, I'm living and breathing um, the history of Oakland. Um, People love it. And when I give a tour of Fairyland and talk about some of the people who, you know, the fact that Trader Vic was the person who created our play island, that Milton Schung, who created the dollar stores, was the person who um, did our dragon slide. I think, I think people want to have a sense of place. And there's so many places in America right now that are strip mall that don't have the kind of history that Oakland has. And if you're from Oakland or if you've lived here more than 10 years, you have a sense of pride. And those of us who fit into that category are going to be telling everyone about it. And Oaklandish, frankly, helps with that. Oaklandish really um, celebrates the history of Oakland and the pride. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Green Monster, is what we call it. It's a sculpture right on the sandy beach on Lake Merritt. Um, They were, structurally, it had problems. It had lead, and and the community, in a heartbeat, jumped in, and is figuring out a way to save and restore this. So I think people who are transplants to Oakland, you look at some of the beautiful buildings and some of... um, all of the people who are leading tours in this town now. And you can't help, I think, uh, but get enthusiastic about that. So, no, I think um, those of us who live here and who have lived here for a while just delight in passing on that information, which is really gratefully received, I think. You and your staff work at a place that is dedicated to creating an environment for children and families that is fun, And you clearly take a lot of delight in this place and the work you do, though it is a job. What do you do for fun? Presumably it's not (laughs) hang around children's fairyland, uh, because that would be a bit of a busman's holiday. What do I do for fun? I had a um, uh, a coach, uh, executive coach, tell me one time when I was talking about everything, and she said, you know, CJ, you have chosen a big life. And when she said that, it changed everything for me. It's like, uh, you know, I have. My, I met my husband through community service. So we are always doing some sort of fundraiser or volunteering. And it's just, it's just the life I've chosen. You know, in my spare time, I've got a little garden that is my, you know, happy personal place. And I'm a movie freak. I was a film major. And so I love the New Parkway. I'm at the New Parkway a lot. That's another jewel in Oakland. So, and, and I read a lot, and I certainly walk the lake a lot. So those are just some of the things. And I'm just one of the biggest Oakland boosters. And I'm just, I could not be more excited about all the things that are going on right now. Well, C.J. Hershield, thank you so much for talking with me. <laughs> thank you very much. It's been fun. 
That was C.J. Hirschfield. She's the executive director of Children's Fairyland in Oakland. If you want to learn more about what goes on there, you can head to fairyland.org. And of course, you can pay them a visit, as long as you have a kid with you. Doesn't even have to be your kid. Pick up a stray. They don't care. Fairyland is just off Grand Avenue at Bellevue on Lake Merritt. You can find this show's coveted lakeside acres at tespodcast.com. That's where all of my previous interviews with fascinating local people live. You can download them there. You can find the show on iTunes or on Stitcher. Or subscribe using the feed link right there at tespodcast.com. If you know someone in the East Bay that you think would make for an interesting conversation on the Eastern Shore, tell me. I'm on Twitter at Brock Winstead, and you can email Show at gmail.com. I'm always looking for more people to interview, so send me your recommendations. This has been the Eastern Shore. I have been, and despite numerous suggestions from well-meaning people on public transit, continue to be Brock Winstead. Thank you for listening. Yeah, I'm not saying the next week thing anymore. Like it when I make you cry A miracle
Best Frequencies Forever, BFF.FM, broadcasting from the hottest studio in San Francisco's Mission District. I'm Brock Winstead. You've been listening to The Eastern Shore. Coming up now, San Francisco People, with your host, Frank Garza. Don't go anywhere. Girl. 